Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex, joined again by Bruno. How are you doing? Doing good, man. How about you? Good. I've not done my hamstring. That's three people on this call now that have not done their hamstrings. And I think we're probably the only three people associated with the club who haven't. Um, speaking of three people, I'm joined, just to top off this fab trio, I'm joined by Liam from Matchday365. How are you doing? Yeah, as far as I know, my hamstring is still working. So um, I'm expecting a call from Roy anytime. Nice, nice. If you say parish in on this pod, you might lose it there. Someone might come and pop it for you. Yeah, that's true. I am expecting... Um... I'm not gonna say that's too. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna make a joke, but I'll, I'll leave it. But yeah, no, it seems to be. Um, yeah, I think I might get a kick in the back of the leg if I say that going to sell us at some point. Well, only one way to find out, right? Speaking of which, did you guys see on uh, on Twitter about the potential protest at, at Newcastle before we really jump into the meet and drink? Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> I saw you it actually uh, talking about it. It's a weird one, but we won't. Um, we talked a lot about the parish out and the ownership situation previously. And Liam, I, I'd love to talk about it with you, but we've got to we've got to move on to the main agenda, I'm afraid. Maybe if there's time, though, we should cover it because it's absolutely something that is causing a little bit of a stir. And uh, I'm really interested to hear people's thoughts on that. But I want to start by talking about something that was, for once, a really big positive. Um, you know, we've often talked about the pathway with the first team and, and issues with the squad. And in the midst of what is a horrendous injury crisis, which again, we'll address, we, we have to give props to, to Jezebel and Rakseki, who... It's looked like one of the biggest bright sparks to come out of the Palace Academy. And, you know, it's something that we really pin a lot of hopes on as fans in terms of, you know, actually seeing development um, for our youngsters at first team level. Um, but before we really look at him and we look at the Forest game, um, Bruno, I wanted to bring you in on the on the injury crisis at the club, because it's obviously something that is feels almost unprecedented. The last big injury crisis was probably again under Hodgson in like, was it 2018? I think yeah, yeah it was that. early 2018. Um, when we were missing something like 10 senior players for injury. Gyro was out, Jeff was out, Kabai was out, uh, Loftus-Cheek, Zahar. We went through a spell where we faltered away because that year we, we came really strongly under Hodgson. But then once the Christmas period rolled around, we basically went a month and a half without any good results. And, you know, <laughs> we dealt with it by signing Erdal Rackett, Bjarisol Yak and uh, Alexander Serlot. So, you know... Not in a similar situation, you could say, uh, to this year, although I think we've definitely topped that on quality. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems to be a little bit of a trend now of Hodgson's teams, um, an injury crisis. And this one is pretty much the worst I've seen since that, if not worse. Um, obviously, it comes with its benefits. Last time we saw Aaron Wambasaka find his uh, place in the team through that opportunity. And it seems like this could be, at last, Jezrin Rakasaki's opportunity, despite his apparent shortcomings, um, although he is a brilliant talent. Uh, Liam, I was just wondering, do you think that our injury crisis is sort of a symptom of the Roy Hodgson coaching method due to the amount of hamstring injuries, which are often a result of stress? Uh, and sort of, we didn't invest strongly enough in the window, something we've spoken about a lot, uh, and that's resulted in more, um, in less choices, rather, uh, for Hodgson to have off the bench and he's not a huge substitution manager anyway so we've got less rotation well, and therefore it all sucks it's kind of an interesting one isn't it because as you mentioned last time Roy was here we had a very similar issue I remember I found a tweet on uh, match day uh, from when Ebbs did his Achilles which you know was a freak thing and it you know it was a real killer for everyone understandably mm. but uh, we said at the time that you know 
it's oh, the exact quote we used was questions must be asked for the countless injuries in training over the past two years. Unacceptable for players to get injured seemingly every week. I know Roy and staff are leaving, but they're at least partially accountable. And I think it's exactly the same thing all over again. You know, it, it can't be coincidence that in these past two spells, we seem to have players getting injured all the time. And I mean, last time you could put it down to an aging squad. You know, there's yeah. likes of Gary Cahill popping his hamstring, doing a relatively routine defensive run, you know, and, and you could sort of find the excuses for not necessarily it being Roy. Um, and I don't want to come on here and just sort of bemoan at Roy, because I think besides the injuries, the work he's doing is bloody remarkable. Um, but I think it's yeah. it's six and two threes. And to be, to be honest, I think I think it's partly however Roy's gotten working. But I think if we had a bigger squad, the way he, they were working wouldn't be as big an issue, you know. Um, and I think when you look back at the previous injury crisis, you could say exactly the same thing about the size of the squad. So we've never yeah. seen Roy with you know, potentially interchangeable wingers or, you know, a different set of fullbacks or whatever it may be. You know, I, well, you mentioned Wan-Bissaka beforehand. When when he first broke through, I remember the the only rotation Roy would seemingly do was take Aaron out for Wardy when it would be a big game. I remember when we played Brighton, he took out Wan-Bissaka for Wardy and that was about the only sort of serious change I remember him making in that season. It's that so, game three uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's. I don't know. I think Parish definitely hasn't helped him, but I think there's definitely um, something in it being in the way that Roy and the lads train because it's it. It can't be a coincidence. It's happened yeah. twice across six years. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's loads of extraneous variables um, that reveal that it very much is probably a Roy Hodgson issue. Like that as a um, injury a week later, Nathan Ferguson got the exact same Achilles injury. Um, mm. I don't think it was a coincidence that that summer we let Scott Guy go um, after a, a horrible run of injuries. But since then, we have decreased the age of the squad and we've changed our medical team. Um, and it seems like the injury issues that largely went away under Vieira have returned. And we can't blame Roy for the ones picked up on international duty. So Lama to a point, although it is hamstring. And Elise, of course, Yet again, another hamstring though. So, yeah, I think it's probably, there's definitely a correlation there, but it also feels harsh to me to fully blame Roy Hodgson because he does have a medical team that is advising him. Mm. And I think it would be rash to assume that he's just completely disregarding after 40 years of experience, um, you know, the ideas and information from professionals. Uh, Like he's a very intelligent guy. Exactly. And I think the one of the few areas that I think Parrish has consistently got it wrong a lot has been staff generally. Mm. You, know, you look at our managerial record, aside from Roy, I guess Vieira for a year, but even then he was fourth choice. You know, he hasn't... And we didn't back him. him. We didn't love him after a certain no, amount of time. No, exactly. You know, there, was that, there was that athletic article about him potentially going off to Leeds in uh, February of the good year, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I think maybe, uh, I don't know if it, it extends to, you know, injury stuff and, and the like as well, but maybe Parrish just got a blind spot when it comes to recruitment because as far as I know, and I think you'll know better than me, a lot of the player recruitment comes down to Dougie and he's got yeah. a bloody good eye for it. So maybe it's a case of Parrish mm-hmm. just isn't a good recruiter. Yeah, well, you've touched on two things there. One is that I actually don't know how uh, 
closely parish works with recruitment of that sort of that area of staff and building onto that idea about parishes involvement with hiring staff members uh i've mentioned this a couple of times on the palace voice twitter page we don't actually have a dedicated set piece coach um we've had dean keely working as our set piece guy for a couple of seasons now uh despite him being hired primarily as a goalkeeping coach so we've never really built on the success that we've seen in similarly leveled uh, Premier League teams, you know, Brighton have a set-piece coach, Brentford, Newcastle, Villa, these are all teams that have been promoted since us and have had uh, more success than we've had from a certain point of view, especially if you take Europe into account. Um, so I'd say no set, no dedicated set-piece coach. Uh, medical issues could definitely be um, an area of play that we could levy uh, on the board, not necessarily Paris because we don't know how directly involved he is and he is with that but it's definitely criticism of the club's management for sure so the lack of a set piece coach is crazy and the, the last time I remember us being a genuine threat from set pieces was when Keith Millen was doing them and <laughs> what's that oh, 10 years ago now and it's just when you look at the Premier League and you think of the margins you can gain and the margins you can lose you know the the set piece is such a massive thing. You know they literally keep teams in the league, so that could be you know could be the margin between us being twelfth and us being eighth. You know it's yeah. such so frustrating that there's something as blatantly obvious as that. And you know I remember when Klopp brought in his um, throwing coach, and it was all sort of sneered at by Talk Sport and the like. But it's like no, this is a, a area where he's gone. Well, this can help us. Let's improve this. And it just feels like we're so negligent when it comes to things like that. And I don't, mm. what is it? I don't know what it is. Is it naivety? Is it sort of ignorance? Uh, it's it's so frustrating because we're so good at so many other aspects of things, you know, like player recruitment, mm. like community stuff, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, this is staring you in the face. Just do it. Do it. It kind of, it, it kind it, of pays it for itself. It kind of pays for itself, doesn't it? You know, if you're able to win genuine points and places on the board off the back of these marginal tweaks, be it set pieces, throw-ins, you name it, you know, there's a material impact on the club, but relatively little cost for the to the back-end costs. You know, the way, I mean, Spurs are Spurs are the masters at this, by the way. Like, the amount of, of Deadwood off the pitch that is cut to keep finances trim in order to invest in, in the playing and the coaching staff is phenomenal. You know, I hear that with Spurs, they still use, like, Windows XP or something like that. Maybe not as extreme now, but they the back-end infrastructure for, like, their marketing team or something is, is phenomenally bad for the facilities they've got. I'm just in the interest of time, want to move on more to a big positive, as we said. You know, we obviously have this horrendous injury crisis, and I really want to look at Jezra and Rakisaki. Um so with Jazz, obviously, I've mentioned it earlier, he's, you know, one of our best prospects. There's a lot of high hopes on him. I think we have to be cautious a little bit when we when we get too excited about our prospects. You know, we've had Zaha and, and more recently Mitchell come through and obviously hold down meaningful Premier League minutes and, and really make an impact on the first team. And I suppose Jazz seems like the natural successor on that, on that well, conveyor belt, that's sort of the, the lineage almost that we're creating from our academy. And you know, it was a real, real test of character to to bounce back in the way he did after such a, a humbling against United in the Cup. But, you know, in typical Hodgson fashion, injury forced his hand. So, Bruno, talk me through how he really got introduced to the game. Um, talk me through a bit about what you expected of him and ultimately his performance and how you felt he handled himself. Well, I think Jez has received a lot of unfair stick. Uh, you know, he got thrown in the deep end, basically being asked to start in a heavily depleted starting eleven away at Manchester midweek, basically cold, having not really played much football all season. 
And I think in his 45-minute appearance, he obviously didn't play well, like the rest of the team. And it seemed like a lot of the fans judged him exclusively off that performance. Um, but we know from last season as a player, player in him, you know, he did incredibly well out in Charlton, won the player of the season, which as a Palace player is pretty much unprecedented. Um, you know, we saw our previous best in inverted commas academy talent go to Charlton and effectively flop in Sully Kai Kai. Um back in what 2018? So yeah. Um I thought Jez was pretty good. Like he, he got subbed on for Jeff Schlupp. Uh, and that's a change that I think a lot of fans have been calling for as well. Uh Schlupp at left wing hasn't really worked out the season. I know it's been forced by injuries, but um I think it was the right sort of game for Jess to come on. Uh he was fresh legs even 20 or so minutes into the game. Uh, and he quickly got confidence from that because I think Toffolo was completely surprised to have this kid running at him and being so forward thinking. There was a moment or a couple of moments even in the first half where Jess said something you wouldn't have expected from Ayu because Ayu has a habit of turning and facing the goal to try and win a foul. And Schlupp just, well, I don't even know what he does. He basically just <laughs> appear on the football pitch uh, until he gets substituted off. Um, but Jez immediately... Um, you know, started to move towards the goal and be a creator, which isn't something we actually have seen from him that much in the past. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And obviously, yes, he's raw, but I thought he was brilliant um, considering everything, considering the situation, considering the team, considering his age. Um, yeah, Liam, what were your thoughts? I was, I was just really proud of him, to be honest. I've watched yeah. him, as I'm sure many of us have, since the COVID age sort of lockdown yeah. uh under the category season. one season yeah 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 and you know just watch his journey go from that to you know killing it in the premier league two to um you know when i can catch his highlights at charlton and just making you know grown men look silly now and then on saturday he was doing it to like you say an established premier league's uh left back and i bet he didn't bet on that um so i think it was I think it was a real moment for him, to be honest, because like you say, I, a few people, and I, I like the majority of people I interact with on Twitter, but to be honest, a lot of the things I was seeing was just idiotic. You know, just writing a lad off on 45 minutes where, yeah, he wasn't great, but he didn't look like he was... I don't know, maybe it's because, like, like I say, I, I, I've watched him more than maybe a few other people have. But I looked at him and went, yeah, you've had a bad game, but I didn't go... Oh my God, he is never going to be at the level. Oh my word, what you know? It just seems to be such a an overreaction from people that I just wasn't expecting at all. And I think, you know, he put in what seventy odd minutes on yeah. on Saturday of you know looking like a real bright spark. At the very least, he didn't look, you know, he didn't look out out of place. Yeah, you know, if someone had just tuned in, you know, when he got subbed on and watched that that game. They wouldn't have guessed that he was, you know, uh, just off a League One loan. You know, he, he mm. really, he really mm. stood up and, you know, made sure he got involved. And yeah, like you say, he showed that bravery that he shows at Premier League Two level. And he was, like you say, he was a bit of a creator and he was so positive, which is such a nice change from the the wingers we normally have at the moment. And like you say, I he plays the way he does and he's very effective, and I've grown very fond of him at what he does, but. Jez is just something completely different, you know, and it's yeah. it's so refreshing to for the first yeah. time this season to have a, a winger that's going to go. No, no, I'm going to take you on. I'm going to try and score. 
because you know with Elise injured, who knows what France is going to be like? Yeah, this is the first time we've seen this season a, a guy come off the wing and go, "No, I'm going to take a shot rather than I'm going to play it or I'm going to win a foul or I'm going to run in a straight line like Schlupp does." Or you know, it was just so refreshing and, like I say, just pride mainly. Absolutely, I mean that forward-minded um, way of playing. Uh, resulted in him getting the Wilf treatment. I think, he, you know, he's an underdog. He's someone that we as a fan base want to see do well because he's one of our best young talents and he's an attacking player. And every time he got on the ball, you could hear the crowd get behind him and want him to do something. And the team as well. It got to a point where Anderson was just threading him the ball every time. And that'll do well for his confidence. But it also does so much for the team, right? Because Selhurst has been, I'd say, more muted in recent times, um, despite still having a brilliant atmosphere, of course. But... I think Jez's introduction to the game gave us something to get behind, um, you know, in a time where it's tough to have endless energy as a Palace fan. Um, and he impressed the team. Uh, Mark Gay called him the best player on the pitch. Uh, we know from an athletic article today that his teammates and the staff at Palace think he's brilliant in terms of his performance, his application and his character, those three things. He's got serious ambition to make it as a Premier League footballer, you know, to be the best player in your age range at the Palace Academy for basically five straight years is an achievement with the level of talent we have. Um, and he's not given up despite being seemingly ridden off after 45 minutes at United. And he's not one to give up. I was reading today that he took French lessons whilst on loan last year, just to prepare himself for the possibility he ends up uh, getting called up internationally for Ghana. Like this is someone who has a vision for his career in his mind. Uh, and even if it was just 17 minutes against um, a relatively recently promoted Premier League team, I thought we saw flashes um, of someone that can be a Premier League player. Mm. Uh, obviously, he has his weaknesses. Uh, and I want to talk to you guys about this to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. Um, if I if I asked you what you thought Jezra and Raksaki's um, weaknesses are and where, like, what he needs to improve before being a Premier League starter, what would you, what, what would you think they are? Well, I want to come in on that because I, mean, I think the obvious answer here is is maybe a lazy answer as the defensive side, but Hodgson was quick to praise that. But that then, you know, he has quite a, a sleep frame. He's someone who, you know, I felt held his own, but I think obviously, you know, adjusting to the physicality of the Premier League is no small task. Some people take to it better than others, and particularly as a winger, and particularly one who's going to be singled out for, for rough tackles and physical play from sort of dogged dogged left backs and centre halves like it's it's some ask and I mean is that where you were going I'm, I'm genuinely just curious that's what came to my mind yeah exactly I mean there was a moment in that United game where we saw Norden Amrabat just completely Sophie <laughs> just and oh yeah Sophie and Amrabat <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. just completely um bodied Jez uh out the way and just let the ball roll out for a corner and it made Raksaki just look completely like impotent going forward he was just completely nullified and I think, yeah, his issue is just sort of general physicality and pace. And that's an area where I think Malcolm Ebuway probably probably bests him, even if Jez is a technically better footballer. But for me, something I noticed, especially in the Forest game, was um, his decision-making. So yes, it's really positive. Uh, and yes, he can take a man on. But I also think the places he ends up in after beating his man uh, aren't necessarily as um, effective as... They could be. So something Michael Elise always says really well is when he does take a man on, he ends up in a position where he can make something happen. Either he cuts inside and takes a shot uh, or goes somewhere else to put a cross in, right? Whilst I felt Jez um, kept B 
beating his man and then ending up in a position where he'd get crowded out by the Forest defence um, or not have enough space to put an effective ball in. And I don't think it's uh, an issue of quality on the final ball as much as it is just initial decision-making. I don't know if you saw this in the academy as much, Liam, but I definitely noticed it at Charlton um, last year and a little bit in the academy when watching him, is that for a left-footed player, he doesn't necessarily love to cut inside all that much. He, he's not afraid to take it onto his right. Um, and he scored a couple of goals last year acting like he's going to cut inside and then hitting it with the outside of his left boot into the bottom corner instead of um, curling it, say, with the inside. So I think that's something he probably won't be able to do in the Prem with his current set of phys- uh, physical um, attributes. Um, but if he can learn to make that right decision uh, of where to take the ball um, to better help the team, to better create an opportunity, I think um, that and the physicality could make him a really really top quality Premier League winger for us. Well, I think that's what makes him so exciting, isn't it? It's because the two things you mentioned there are two things that can be learned, you know, that are mm-hmm. where the spaces he can occupy and sort of sort of the thinking of the next step after beating yeah. the man, that will all come in time with experience of dealing with Premier League defenders and how Premier League teams set up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, that can that can be learned, that can be sort of harnessed and, and coached. And the physicality was the first thing that came to mind um, when the initial question was posed. And I think that's, again, something that will just come from him being bodied like he was by Amrabat two or three times. And either the coach is going, mate, let's get you in the gym more, obviously, or him going, oh, that's embarrassing, I'm not having that. Which I think is what happened to Will around that age. You know, he just, because he bolted out sort of I remember he said a bit slender when he came back to us on loan but I think it was the summer that he was back with us permanently he he grew from sort of a young man to a man and we've got to remember Jez is only 20 you know it feels like he's been around for ages because we spoke about him so much during the academy but he's only 20 and he's had one season of of adult football effectively so yeah that like I said I, I agree with both your points but the most exciting thing is that they can be improved and learned and coached so it's yeah. uh, um, I've yeah, got high points for him I really do yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean, we all do 21 21 as of uh, a couple of days ago but no he's he's still very 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 young um, and I think I think you're right I think people probably have written him off a little bit just because mentally they think he's been around for a while mm. um, but I think if he gets that loan in January after having minutes this side of Christmas in the Prem, I think he can be uh, a player that has a significant contribution for us next season. Absolutely. Well, yeah, he can come back with real maturity next season. And, you know, I think we're all looking forward to that. There is definitely a pathway for him. And I think that's been made clear in terms of the way he's being deployed and integrated now. Arguably, it's comfort necessity, of course, but... You know, I don't think he was ever out of the question or out of the thinking entirely. So really excited to see where he goes. Um, Liam, I want to throw it back to you because I'm, I'm aware, Bruno, as much as I love listening to you, I think I've, I've kind of asked you a lot of things first. <laughs> That's my fault. It's, no, I have to apologise. Bruno, for those who are, who are listening in, Bruno's sort of mouth, he's like, sorry, he's he's, he's feeling terrible, but I don't know why. Um, no, no, Liam, I wanted to get your thoughts just very briefly on the Forest game at large because we're obviously spent a lot of time talking about Jez, about the injuries coming into this. It was a nil-nil, but it wasn't. It didn't feel, at least to me, nearly as boring as the Fulham game. I think there was still plenty of exciting moments of positives, even if our attacking wasn't really great. Um, in terms of the wider context, Liam, going into the international break, you know, 
Gay and Johnson back in the squad, all of them looking amazing. Our defensive unit looks probably as good as it ever has, and Johnston is on fire at the moment. You know, obviously Jazz is someone that we're putting hopes on, and we're ninth in the table. You know, it's early days; it doesn't really mean anything at this stage. But there's got to be an element of, of a feel good factor, right? Well, and put it this way: any point without the Corre, Eze, Elise, and Lerma, are class as a good point. You know, it's it. We're it's not just the number of injuries; it's the quality in which you know, you know the players that are injured. You know, this is what five starters on Saturday. You know, it depends if you include France or on, you know, in that or not. So I'd say give or take five five starters, and we managed to get a point, and I'd say probably look the better side. You know, at the very least, sort of hold our own against the Forest first team that spent a bloody good amount of money. And yes, you know, they set up tactically wrong. And if I was a Forest fan, I'd be fuming at it, to be perfectly honest. But I think any point without any of those players is a good point. And, you know, it's it was frustrating to watch at times, you know, but like you say, no more so than Fulham. You know, we were far, far better in this game than Fulham. But I think such a, a massive factor of that is down to what you said previously, which is we had something to cling on and cling on to as fans in that game, which was Raksaki. You know, I think if we'd have played out the exact same game, but with Schlupp there for 90 minutes instead of Jez, I think we'd have all come away feeling a lot more sort of tired and sort of, God, we're just getting through the season. But this is what integrate, integrating a player like Jez can do to a fan base. So I've come away from it going, well, I wasn't completely entertained, but here's this one positive that could be great. You yeah. know, and it's it felt less like slogging through a season, you know, picking up a good point regardless, but slogging through a season. And it felt more like sort of a, you know, we're getting through it, but, you know, here's a sign of progress in integrating a player like Jez. So I think it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because our, our, our league table, our, our league position, sorry, is a positive, but especially with the injuries. But then you look at the teams we've played and it's like, well, would you expect us to be any lower? Mm. You know, realistically, if we if you look at our fixtures and you had said we'd be six points worse off, well, then you'd say, well, you started the season badly. And I would say, I'd say it's been a good start to the season. With the context of the injuries, it's been a pretty good start to the season. I but, mean, we've, we've, sorry to cut you off, we've, we've beaten United on their own turf. You know, we've had, you know, Brentford and Villa who, I mean, Villa were flying anyway and Brentford were obviously pretty strong, albeit Tony. Deserves something out of Villa as well. Yeah, yeah. no, no, exactly. We were, we were robbed. We all know that. Uh, we won't go into that because that was that was very much a, a past talking point. But, you know, the, these aren't, you know, we're not playing terrible teams here. We're not playing the ones in the midst of the relegation scrap all the time. You know, we haven't even touched them. We've, we've touched what, Sheffield? You know, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah, not, true. that's it. You know, we, you know, Everton, uh, Luton, um, Burnley, Bournemouth, Bournemouth, teams that are down there. You know, we haven't looked at them at all. Um, we've all got them to come. So I think there's got to be at least some optimism that, you know, we've kind of overperformed or at least sort of held our own brilliantly. And, and that alone has to be celebrated. You know, it's just a case of can we maintain that? Can we build on it when we get players returning? And speaking of players, um, one of the things we wanted to do is really touch into something that's been a bit more kind of meta, something that's got fans talking, um, both personally on all our accounts and, and over on the Palace Way on Twitter. Cheeky plug, you should follow it at uh, the Palace Way. <clears throat> 
And we've often discussed player valuations and, you know, it's no secret, you know, we're not, we're not minnows, but we're definitely not, you know, a top six team. I don't think there's any debate to be had there. You know, we have an element of needing to sell in order to be financially sustainable. It's obviously been a part of our strategy, but, you know, we haven't had a major sale since I'm one Bissaka and that was what, four or five years ago. That's just sort of off the top of my head, right? It's, it's something that, you know, it seems to almost defy the model of clubs like Palace. So, I want to kind of play a game for you guys, but less in a kind of sore way, thank God, and more in a kind of transfer mark way. <laughs> so you'll be very pleased to know that uh, I'm all on. I'm all on. And I want to just ask a very, very simple question first and foremost. Who do you think they rate on transfer mark as our most valuable player? Don't all jump at once. Mark. I'm I'm going to go first. I'll, I'll say Eze. I reckon they've got, uh, just purely because he scores the goals. It's not who I'd say, but I reckon they've got Eze down as most valuable. Uh, well, you're both wrong. It's actually the greatest right back to ever do it. It's only Nathan Ferguson. No, I'm joking. Um, you are both wrong, unfortunately, though. It is Michael Elise, actually, which surprised me, to be fair. I opened that and I was like, I kind of see a rationale, to be fair. But you know, they value him. And this, this is only base value, by the way. This isn't accounting for like Todd Burley money. You know, this isn't this isn't inflated at all. This is the kind of yeah. the, the kind of market that they've set. They've put Elise at 50 million euros, which, to be fair, kind of impresses me. And, and it makes sense up to a point, you know. He's attacking. He's only 21. I think we still forget that. He's 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 Raksaki age, you know. That's how young he's talking. Yeah. Which just to put it in perspective, right? I know it's um, you know, he's got everything ahead of him and has already shown he's more than competent as a as a Premier League playmaker. You know, he's relatively versatile, but most importantly, he's got a huge yeah. ceiling. Um oh my so- god, hang on, I've just deep what you said. Um so Elise is, you know, basically one of our best players in the Premier League at the same age that Eze was out on loan at Wickham. Yes, yes. In League that, 2. That is... Yeah, crisis. and this is my thing, right, is um, what I was thinking is I think Michael Lise could stay for another year after this one because uh, he has added that one year to his contract. Uh, and if this season does end up being plagued by injuries for him and he doesn't quite hit the, you know, 15-plus contributions that I'd say he would need to classify himself as an elite Premier League player... He might want another year because it doesn't really harm him in the long term because he isn't a player that's extremely dependent on pace or explosiveness compared to you know a player like DRB for example. And therefore, I think age aging won't be as much a uh, negative for his career path. So I don't know. I I think that's not it's not just optimism talking as a fan. I just think uh, he's so young that playing in a team that gives him week in week out football. Um, just might be the best thing for him. And that's one of the reasons he signed a contract extension. Um, yeah. And, you know, we were, talk- we were talking before the pod um, about how maybe if Eze doesn't do that Achilles injury, Eze leaves this summer instead and we reinvest and Elise stays until the next summer. But now we've been pushed back by a year. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can absolutely see that, that going in. But, yeah, Elise is our most expensive player. Yeah, all right. Yeah, 50 million. I mean, I'm rather, I don't want to, you know, dwell too much on Elise right now just because we've got to get through a lot of people. But... I mean, just Bruno, if we, we sold him in the summer, how much do you realistically think we get for him? Just just a figure, and I'll ask you the well, same He's thing. got a release clause that I, I couldn't put a name on. Um, but okay, if, let's, if it was upwards true. of if it was if it was upwards of fifty five million pounds mm. um and we had a sell on clause, I'd be satisfied because um with all the circumstances taken into account, uh, I think that would be fair. In reality, I'd say in the current market he's an eighty million pound plus player, but we probably won't get that with the uh, you know with his agent and with his his goals in mind um mm. so yeah anything over 55 with a salmon clause i'd be so happy with 
I remember there were rumours of Gay going for like 50 and the club would be happy with that. And I get the feeling that for at least the first big sale we need to make, there's an element of, right, we actually have to sell this player. It's not just a case of let's play hardball. I, I think we'll haggle a bit, we'll try hard, but at the end of the day, we do need a major sale. That can't be denied. We need at least one, I think, in order to be, at least for the next few years, sustainable in accountancy terms purely. But um, that's a separate conversation. Liam, how much do you think Elise could realistically go for next summer if we kind of pretend the release clause isn't a thing? Um. I, I think Bruno was sort of along the right lines. I mm. think he's sort of a... Let's say he comes back sort of before Christmas sometime and he gets around 10 assists, you know, give or mm. take a bit. I think we're looking at it and going into the market and going, wow, he's a £60 million player. You know, I think he's... I wouldn't... I, I would feel hard done by if we sold him for that. Um like I think a different club, a different circumstance is getting sort of around the 80 million mark. Uh, yeah, I think in a different circumstance, um, uh, you know, a different agent, I think, you know, you could talk about sort of uh, 80 million, like I say, purely because of his age um, and just the type of player he is and how rare that is. You know, you look at him and you do see Riyad Mahrez before he added the goals. Um, and I think as soon as he adds the goals, which, and I don't mean this as a sort of dampener on Roy by any stretch, but I think once he gets to an elite coach, I think he's just going to set the world on fire. Uh, as much as, you know, it's sacrilege to say, well, I won't put it, I'll put it another way. If the Zerbi was at Palace with Elise, Elise would be getting 10-10 goals and assists. Mm. Because he, I think once he gets under an elite level coach, he is just going to set the world on fire. And I think clubs see it, which I think is why. Bowley and, and Chelsea were so keen on him. But yeah, I think 60 million is realistic. I th- am I right in saying there's something in his uh, contract that he gets a percentage of whatever fee we get? Yeah, yeah. So it's a bit complicated. It's not quite a standard release clause. It's like a mechanism that he has to communicate and only he can communicate to the club. So that's one of the reasons why we were able to hold out. We, we sort of created a, and to be fair on Parrish, is a bit of a masterclass, Dougie, whoever was behind it. Mm. We created a kind of release clause that couldn't be activated traditionally. We basically said like, Ch- Chelsea tried to approach us and said, we're activating the release clause. And he's like, that's that's illegal. And it legally was true. That's not mm. how the release clause in the contract worked. It, it was completely void. You know, it was a, it was a damn squib. So um, I, I guess I'm sorry to cut you off, Bruno. I want to move on to other players. Um, just purely in the interest of time, because there's probably at least five or six I'd like to seriously look at, including one that's a bit more left field. Um, who do you think's number two? Going back to the top. Who do you think's number two in, in terms of uh, transfer market? That'll be Eze, right? That'll be Eze. Liam? Eze or Mark? Uh, yeah, it's between the two. I'll, I'll stick with Ebs as well. Yeah, you're both right. So congratulations. You, you're both one out of two so far. Yeah, number two, it's a very as a only by two million euros. Coincidentally, his, his valuation has risen as has Elise's. By the way, the latter's risen despite injury as well, which I find quite interesting. Um, I'd assume that's kind of hangover from his, you know, the contract and his age, blah, blah, blah. But um, coming in at a very different sort of element of the age spectrum, kind of in his mid-20s, obviously still you know, 25 and has a room to grow, definitely for a few years at least. But, you know, nonetheless, he's more of a seasoned player now, certainly not from the 22-year-old sort of as we knew when he came in. And he obviously felt some benefit. But yeah, he comes in at 48 million euros. And like I say, this is base value. So again, it's normally we just kind of let these conversations free flow, but there's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a standard structure here. So, I mean, I'll start with you this time, Liam. I mean, how fair a reflection of Eze's ability and potential do you think 48 million euros is? And do you think maybe in pounds or euros, however you want to do it, how much do you think we could realistically get for him? Um, 
I reckon if any club got Eze for 50 million, they are walking away laughing like Spurs were getting James Madison in the summer. I think that was that only happened because Leicester got relegated. I think all being well, we'll stay in the league and we should be demanding well upwards of 70 million for him. Mm. You know, that's what we that's a price tag. If I remember rightly, we put on Wilf when Wilf was our guy. I think Wilf was a bit older than Ebbs is at this point in his life. Um, you know, Around the same age. Inflated. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a sort of, it's a, uh, you know, you can compare the two. And I think that, you know, with the inflation and, and Bowley bucks and all that sort of thing, that's just made the market a mess. I think, you know, if we sell for any less than 80 with a sell-on clause, I think it would be, daylight robbery you know I can sit here and go wow he's 100 million pound player to us but no one's going to pay that and we might be in a position mm-hmm. where we're going to have to sell so if you look with the with one year contract, left in his contract you've got to take into account yeah exactly so I'm looking at it going sort of 65 70 million I think we can walk away happy if the contract situation stays the same mm. um, well Rice had one year left and went for 100 what mil so that's exactly. very true the, the, yeah well, I, I, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is the case, but I read somewhere that there was an option for a further year. Um, and if so, that I think that that kind of changes the context of that, as does European football. But I think, like you say, it's a com- comparable situation and they held their own with their with their pricing. So there's no reason why we shouldn't as well. I don't exactly. want to sort of have a love in West Ham, but fair play to them, by the way, for getting the money that they did. You know, they didn't roll over at all and got... Like I say, a very healthy thief for someone who realistically didn't have a lot of time left in his contract. Now, Ooh. moving on. Um, again, I, I was going to talk about Mark Gay. Spoiler alert: uh, he's number three. I actually think this is quite well documented in terms of how we feel about him. You know, he's valued at thirty-five million, which I think is a tough. Oh. Oh. Um, he is, he, in my opinion, he should be the highest valued player. He, he, he should be up there. Yeah, incredible. I mean. I mean, first of all, that clip of him just going past seven Nottingham Forest players (laughs) just sums up how I feel about him because he demolishes everybody else on that football pitch in terms of ability to retain possession, ball-playing ability, tackling, um, just game intelligence, intelligence off the pitch, um, maturity for such a young age. Mark Mark embodies the Crystal Palace spirit in a way that he gets what it means to be a football fan. He gets what it means to come from South London. And you can tell he loves the game. And his relationship with Anderson is one of my favourite things about Palace. You know, Mark could make four mistakes in one game and I wouldn't think any less of him because he's earned the most rock-solid reputation I've ever seen from a, from mm. a Crystal Palace player, bar Wilf, I think. Like, you know, Mark will never get scapegoated for as long as he's at this club, I think, because he is just the most consistent player I've, I've ever really seen at the club. Like, I have a... <laughs> It's embarrassing. I've got a poster of Mark Gay that is framed in the back of my room. Oh, um, yeah. Just to really drill in the fact that I'm only, I'm younger than you guys. But like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I did take it down once I got a girlfriend. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> what a flex, what a flex. Not only has he got a Mark Gay painting in his room, he's also got a girlfriend. Oh, Bruno. I'm more proud of the Mark Gay poster, to be honest. Oh, oh. She's going to kill me for that. I was going <laughs> to say, she doesn't like Palace, does she? Because you're, you're in the doghouse. Uh, no, she, but we've just... Agree that we're going to go to our first game together, uh, the Bournemouth one in December. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. I bet we get battered <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. 
Um, right, I, guys, I want to I want to move on from gay. Uh, we uh, sorry to by the way, Liam, because I'm sure you would have had something amazing to say. I, I don't doubt it. Uh, it's just we I have a lot of players. Yeah, he's fantastic. If anyone wants yeah. to buy him, we should be able to write whatever we want on that contract. Um, thirty five million for transfer mark, by the way, is a, is pretty Triple. pretty low. Like honestly, I think in 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 market value, in terms of like market value, easily should be up there with Elise at fifty. I think he should be number two. Um. Eze not far off, but I think Gay should be in that territory too. Um, I think in terms of like true value, easily we could get 80 million, I think, for for an England international with his potential, with his age, with his pedigree. You know, I don't think there's much more to say. The big point I wanted to make, and this is where it gets a bit spicy, I think number four might shock you. I, I think a few, um is it a tie? Good question. It's a tie with gay, 35 million euros. I'll give you that as a clue. But there's probably, I mean, realistically, I think there's about three or f- maybe even four players it could be. But I think who, yeah, who's... Joachim f- Mitchell. Check Joachim Mitchell. Oh, no, it's going to be transfer market, so it's going to be Eddie, isn't it? Eddie? Are you going with Eddie? Liam? Who do you think it is? Uh, I'll stick with what my opinion is, which is Decore. But I, I, oh, yeah. I think I may be duped here by good knowledge of the web- website. Uh, you've been cheating, haven't you? No, it is Decore, which surprised me actually. But um, I I think that's you know we've slagged we've slagged, we've just slagged off transfer mark big time for gay. I think this is actually quite a fair valuation, not in obviously in terms of actually what we could get, but they've given him a very comfortable thirty five million, and I think realistically, probably about fifty in this market. I'm not gonna you know give my own thoughts on why. I think I'd Liam, I'd rather bring you in here, and particularly as I cut you off last time, um, just towards the end here, like. What do you think Decore could really, really attain in this market? I mean, how valuable do you think he could be for a team like us? I mean, we see Caicedo, you know, getting bids of 100 million sort of turned down from a kind of Liverpool. And, you know, defensively, Decore has been competitive with that kind of calibre. So, you know, maybe even I'm saying 50 million here. Maybe I'm, you know, pricing ourselves down here. You know, what are your what are your overall thoughts on that? Well, I think looking at it in comparison to Caicedo is interesting because I think with Caicedo, you're buying an element of potential. Whereas with the core, he sort of he's shown everyone what he is and how good he is at what he's good at. You know, I think when he came, he was comparing himself a little bit to Yaya Torre, and we haven't seen that side of his game. And maybe it exists, but I think now if we're sort of shopping him around, you're going look. Here's his sort of tackles and inception stats. Here's his ball progression. This is what he's good at, and he can just be that. And that seems to be a rarity at the moment in the Premier League. You know, like we say, we saw Rice go for 100 million. We saw Caicedo go for 100 million. But there is still an element of potential with them. I would be upset if we accepted less than 70 million for Decoro because he he is such a glue to our side. I think outside of the two centre-backs, I'd say he's probably our most important player. I think he, he just... I, I don't what I, I can't remember which one you guys said it about gay about him being the most consistent player you've seen at Palettes. If he's number one, I think Decore's in that top three because I can't mm-hmm. remember him having a bad game. You know, I think when we got battered at Goodison Park last season, it was partly indicative of all the things Vieira was doing wrong. But I think we saw that and was like, bloody hell, where would we be without Decore now? Um so I think I would I'd be upset if we accepted less than seventy million because from what I understand, you know his contract is still in a good place. Yeah, you know, and it, I think he's been touted around a bit. You know, there was a Liverpool link, and I think that would make sense in that midfield. I think if you add um, uh, Decore, Savoslai, and um, 
and yes, McAllister, McAllister, I think then you got a hell of a midfield three. And I think, you know, I think he's a little bit underrated by people outside of our fan base, to be honest. Yeah, but, he's a bit of a, he's a, bit um, of a hidden I, gem outside of Palace. Yeah, isn't he? Exactly. People don't seem to realise how immense he is. He was so well researched. He's he's not really looked a different mould to the, the guy at Long. He's just evolved in a better team, naturally. Um, you know, he was always a fantastic ball winner. He was always a very progressive defensive midfielder, and it shows. Guys, um, I need to wrap it up, unfortunately, in terms of time, but just to just to move it on, um, I don't think this will surprise you, but rounding off the top five is obviously Jakob Anderson. Again, I think this is something that was really talked about on Twitter that I saw, um, both from my own Twitter account and a little bit on the Palace way too. Um, you know, he's rated at 30 million on here. Easily think that we could get 60, particularly with the Newcastle lot coming in. He is a bit older as well, 27. So as much as he is peaking in terms of visibility, there is a trade-off in terms of longevity. But he's easily got five, six, maybe even seven years as a top-level centre-back. I think there's no debate. And then outside the top five, um, Tyreek Mitchell is the next most valuable. Yeah. I'll sick for 22 million, which is actually quite, you know, I think it, people don't really think about selling him. We're not going to sell him, though, are we? We're, we're really no. not going to sell him. No, no, exactly. Can I- can I just speak on Ty really quickly and say because yeah. I, 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 I've been so impressed with his his, mm. his sort of bounce back this season. You know, you guys have spoken about it in the past, but I think he's really sort of, you know, it seems like he's maturing week on week, and it's almost like he's sort of put that bad spell. And it was a bad spell, and it looked like we were going to have to find someone to play in his role because he was he just fell off so massively after Wembley. But I think he deserves a lot of credit for his application and the way he's come back from that, um, you know, that period of his career. And now he's looking almost as strong as he ever, ever has. And, you know, I think he's sort of developing into that strong back four really nicely. And I, I, I was thinking beforehand, oh, God, we're going to have to replace him. I think we're past that now. I think he's back to the almost back to those England levels, and I'm just I've just been really impressed with his sort of mentality in the past twelve months. To be honest, mm. um, just to round off, um, joint seventh for those of you wondering, because I'm sure a few of you were clearly. What an important number! Uh, joint seventh at twenty million euros. It's Lerma and Edward, which I found quite interesting because you know Edward is obviously significantly younger than Lerma by about three years, and you know a much more offensively minded position. Even if he's you know just starting to really get into a bit of form, just as you know injury comes in it's a funny one but um i don't want to dwell too much on these but i mean there won't be many surprises in terms of the way the rest of the order then starts falling you suddenly then get the goalkeepers and france and then you start getting kind of backup or more fringe players like Ahamada with a bit of youth and potential so it is an interesting one and i think you know this won't be the first time and, and only time we, we talk about um valuation you know it's such a huge part of where this club's going um and speaking of going we have to wrap up unfortunately but thank you everyone for listening it's been great having you guys on and um, Bruno, I see you most weeks now, so I don't really care about you. But Liam, Liam, my friend, great to have you. <laughs> Bruno, Bruno, Bruno's thrown his arms up. Liam, um, great as always to have you on. Um, if you're not following Matchday365, by the way, on Twitter, you're missing out on great analysis and, as always and, you know, some really fantastic insight from you guys. So, Liam, do you like your Twitter? Thank you for kind words. I always love coming on. Uh, it's always a good laugh. Um, but also the, uh, the Matchday-specific Palace account, uh, which is just match day CPFC, um, which is where we sort of pivoted a lot of our interest because uh, both Mikey and myself, Mikey, the brains behind everything, um, that we just enjoyed talking about Palace more than we do do regular football, to be honest. Um, And we seem to have found our niche in terms of, um, you know, interest and, and, you know, it's been been good fun. So uh, match day CPFC and uh, match day 365. Uh, I won't plug my personal because... Um, 
you know. I'm we sure, already I'm seen. Sure we already seen you giving a large on Twitter, anyway. So don't worry. It, <laughs> um, I, I'm. I'm trying. I'm trying to calm down. Uh, so that's you know. Uh, I get too stressed about this silly little app. So don't you worry. Um, no, no. Again, as always, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Um, if you're not already following the Palace Way at Twitter, you can do so at the Palace Way. Um, we obviously were very excited to talk about our website last time. Um, we'll have more news on that on each episode and we'll obviously announce a release fully. But um, that's it from me. Thank you for listening again. And it's bye from me, bye from Bruno and bye from Liam. Have a good one and we'll see you in the next episode after the international break.